Bienvenidos a Alter Everything, un podcast acerca de ciencia de datos y cultura analítica. Como habrán adivinado, no soy Brian Oblinger, que será nuestro host hoy. Yo soy Alberto Guisande y estoy con Mike Barón para conversar un poco sobre ética y privacidad en datos, tendencias y trucos para compartir conocimientos. Así comenzamos esta edición de nuestro podcast. Mike and AJ, welcome to the show. Hey, hi, Brian. Thanks for having us. Hi, Brian. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, it's going to be great. We have a lot of awesome topics to cover today. Uh, before we do that, though, uh, as always, I want to hear a little bit about you, a little bit about what you're, uh, what you're up to, how you got into this. So maybe, uh, maybe AJ will start with you. How did you. How did you come to analytics? What was that journey like for you? Oh, it was kind of an accident. Let me tell you, um, I was hired by a company uh, to put some order within. They had been struggling with uh, projects, late projects, and a lot of money losses. And I, went, I, I was um, hired to put them uh, in order. And that company tends to be a, a BI company in that era. And, and that was my um, landing to the analytics uh, world. It was by accident. I get totally hooked and here I am. Wow. Okay, great. And Mike, what about you? Um, mine was somewhat by accident as well. I, um, when I went to college, I was going to be a math teacher and about halfway through my student teaching uh, process, I decided that I really didn't want to be a, a math teacher, at least not at the secondary level. So I went to, then I turned my thoughts to maybe being a professor at the college level. So I started taking my master courses taught a semester of stats at a local community college, liked it, but still, you know, wasn't really for me, I didn't think. At the time, I was at a local, a very large local company um, that was doing very well called Paychex, and I started out entry level, just doing payrolls for local companies, and then a few years later, I was promoted up to the corporate, where I was a compliance analyst, and then about, oh boy, about eight years into that journey, a new department called Predictive Modeling opened up with one person. Uh, they they uh, contracted out to FICO, the credit people, to create a mathematical model to try to predict clients that will leave us. Uh, took off really well, great, great success. So the director decided to hire a few more people and bring that in-house and see if we can get that. And someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we know you're an analytic type guy, you have a math background. You want to come join us? Don't know where this part, where this is going, what's going to happen, but it might be fun. So I said, sure. And that was about uh, 10 and a half, 11 years ago. Wow. Yeah, so we have a lot in common, the three of us, because um, I decided really early on in my life that I didn't want to be a math teacher. And, <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and everything else that I've done that's been successful has totally been an accident. So uh, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate your stories, and I think <laughs> we're all on the same page there. Good. 
Good. All right. Um, so let's get into our first topic. I, I wanted to, you know, kind of segue from from your intros there into so so Mike, for for example, you just mentioned predictive, and AJ, you mentioned a couple of things you've been working on. What do you What are you guys best at? You know, what do you really like to do? What's What's the part of analytics? I'm sure there's a there's a spectrum, right, of things that that are not so fun and some things that are fun. Let's start with the the fun stuff. What really gets you out of bed uh, in the morning? Maybe Mike will will start with you on this one. Sure. Um, I think what, what I do best and what I really enjoy is the beginning part of building something. Uh, so building something from the ground up for, for us here, it looks like when we, we usually partner with other groups, other business units, and getting it on the ground floor and listening to them. Because I came to this department, and I currently have over 20 years experience, I've worked with all different departments, all different people, all different divisions. Um, I know how the, uh, how the front front-end, front-line users, um, what they do, because I've done it. Um, so when we're in requirements meetings and we're listening to the business unit describe what they're looking for, what issue they want to solve, what they might want to do, uh, they usually bring me in early, uh, my, my group, because I'm very good at listening and determining, okay, this is what's coming out of their mouth, but this is how it might translate to our data at our company. Um, so I seem to have a really, really good ability to do that, and that also allows me to execute very quickly take out of that first meeting. I can usually come out and write up an, a good step-by-step plan, um, getting at least a preliminary idea of what we need and putting together something to look at together as a group uh, very quickly. So that's, it's kind of exciting that I could walk out of a meeting and uh, you know a day later bring my group together and say, hey, here's an initial data set that I pulled. Um, so that's the fun part for me. Yeah, I, I think it's so important, you know, being able to synthesize all that information and, you know, kind of get something quickly, even if it's not the exact answer, at right. least have something to show for it. It's something that I think a lot of businesses kind of struggle with, right? They embark on these big, long projects and they spend a lot of time trying to get it perfect where, uh, you know, at least getting something that's 60 or 70 or 80 percent of the way there to right. start, you know, would get you so much further and kind of directional, uh, you know, where we need to go with this thing. So that's, that's really cool. That's great to hear. What about you, AJ? What's your, uh, what gets you out of bed in Panama every morning? Uh, well, uh, since my, my background, even when I started, I'm a systems engineer. Uh, I work a little, very little in, in work in, in systems engineering specific work like programming or architecting software. Uh, I had, I was lucky enough to have a boss that saw some competences in me that were outside the, the, the technical lab and wanted to spend it on me. So I developed a career in management uh, paid by the bank I used to work for. And I learned a lot of uh, things regarding the business, how the business works, what are the business needs, uh, how to build a team, how to create everything uh, from scratch. And I think what I'm very good at is to hear what the business needs and being able to translate it to a technical solution uh, without, of course, losing uh, the business perspective of the objective of, of that need. And I think that's what made me uh, get into this world very easily because I, I always know what to do with that data and do what uh, I need to do. Sometimes I don't need the technical uh, solutions, but I know where I have to get. So I, and 
up uh, figuring out how to get there and get the the job done. Um, and I believe that's what uh, makes me uh, good at. Got it. Okay. And what about the least favorite part? So I'm sure, you know, uh, no one wants to really talk about the the stuff that's not fun or, you know, but, but I think it is important to acknowledge, right? What are the challenges? What are the, what are the hard things that, you know, we all grapple with in this, in this industry and our careers and that kind of thing. So maybe let's, uh, let's dive into that one, AJ. Like what's, what's the thing that, you know, isn't so fun or, you know, and, and how do we make it better? I guess let's yeah, try to, I, I, solution believe, I, I believe how, how can we make better is, is the, the right approach because, um, well, me as a consultant, I, I deal with customers all the time with different personalities and, and different goals and different uh, expectations. And one, one thing that uh, I uh, hate between quotes because it's, it's part of the deal, but we are, I, I think we are not managing the information that we provide to our potential customers uh, in every sense in the analytic world as it should be. And, I find myself within uh, C-level meetings where uh, the CFO of a huge company believes that a predictive model is going to take all the decisions for him and it's going to avoid him to make mistakes and he's going to even uh, make uh, the PowerPoint for him. So, and this is the message we are uh, providing them on how they are reading those messages where uh, we have this awesome predictive models that we are going to put your business again into the uh, competitive world. And I believe that's, that expectations are exploding our hands when we sit at the table and had to make that things work like they expect it work. Because we know predictive model has uh, uh, errors. Uh, we have a, a percentage of probability and we don't have an accurate 100% effective model for everything. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Well, I think in the in the data science analytics space itself, um, I wouldn't say it's my least favorite part, but maybe the most challenging part is keeping up with with the technology. It's a field that's exploding. There's new technology, new software, there's new tools in this space coming out all the time, and to be, to be on the edge and keep yourself as a leader, you really need to not just say, oh, I'm doing everything this way. It works great. I'm not going to look at these guys. Um, because it is coming out so fast, you, you kind of almost have to set time aside to evaluate new products, new tools, see if it's something worth looking into, worth it, worth considering. From uh, Other than that, I would say probably along the same lines of technology. When you're in a large company like I am and you have a large IT infrastructure, a lot of these solutions um, – in this area tend to require, not all of them, but some of them do tend to require some IT intervention. And just getting that FaceTime again, because this area is so new, yes, everybody reads about it and hears that it's the latest and greatest and could really provide great value to your company. But um, but when you have a department that's so large, an IT department that is, that's so large, um, it's kind of hard to get FaceTime with them and, and really show them the value that this could provide. Or maybe not. You know, maybe we just need to test it out because it might provide value. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it could be a challenge convincing them, hey, invest this time in, this, in these hours just so we can see if it's something worth looking at. Yeah, I've, I've heard others talk about that challenge of, 
there's always something new. There's always a new technology. There's always a new vendor, you know, yep. out there trying oh, yeah. to hawk their, yep, hawk yep, their yep. wares. Um, and so I guess one, one question I'd ask is like, how often in your experience is that true? You know, like we always hear like, Oh, there's this new thing and you should research mm-hmm. it and you got to know all about it. Some of them pass, some of them are, you know, quote unquote yeah. fads or yeah. you know, kind of passing fancies. Like what's the, what's the hit rate and how do you try to, you know, kind of circumnavigate that to make sure you're not spending too much time evaluating things that right. ultimately, you know, aren't going to be a real solution for you or your company. Right. Right. Well, we got, we got uh boy, we got hit up probably at least two or three times a month with some kind of advertisement or email campaign or something like that. And, you know, we'll, we'll breeze through it. Uh, usually one of us will, will pick it out and say, all right, I'm going to take a look at this. We'll read through the literature, read through their, you know, their, uh, their spiel. And then uh, maybe go to the website, check it out. Before we talk to anybody um, on the other end of the phone or, or reach out, we'll, we'll fully investigate their website, see if we can find any information on it. You know, Google them like, Google everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you see what it's all about. And after maybe spending maybe 10, 15 minutes, you can get a pretty good idea of it, whether it falls into one of a few different categories. One category is, okay, totally not for us. Um, two, maybe for us. Or three, okay, maybe it's for us, but it's pretty much the same thing as the last guy. So we're either, you know, we're not going to be interested or we might be interested. Hmm. And AJ, you, I mean, as a consultant, you're all over the place. So you, you must just see tons of different things and approaches. And like, what's that like for you? How do you discover new stuff? And how do you block out the stuff that's, you know, not ultimately going to be that valuable? Well, I have to be honest with you. I, I have it easy because uh, you in the U.S. and in the uh, more evolved markets do all the, the research and, and when when we have these needs in our market, I work for Latin America. So when we have these needs, I believe that kind of filtering is already done at least 50%. So I have it more easily than you in this matter. Uh, it, it came already filtered uh, for me. But of course, I, I'm, I'm researching all the time and looking at uh, new things every time. And well, we are going forward to the tips, uh, but th- this is part of our job. J- just we we need to keep uh, our curiosity on top of our minds. We have to keep learning every day, and and we cannot uh, avoid those steps. Any minute of our uh, professional career, we can't. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you definitely owe Mike a couple of cold beverages for uh, doing all the <laughs> research for you. Is that what you're? That's what you're getting at. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Inspire 2019. Yeah, yes. okay. Um, <clears throat> great. So in terms of, uh, let's talk about data. Let's kind of shift to data. So we just spent a little bit there talking about vendors and platforms and technologies. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the news, right, about uh, data and how it's being collected and how it's being managed and the security of that data and um, a lot of ethical, you know, dilemmas around the data. Um, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to name any names here or anything, Facebook, but, uh, you know, <laughs> how, how do you guys see that, um, right now? Like what's your outlook on, you know, are we collecting too much? Are we securing it properly? Are we managing it in a way that's going to be, 
sustainable. Um, I guess, Mike, maybe we'll start with you on that one. Kind of what's your view on the current state of things as far as, uh, you know, quote unquote, big data goes? Right. Well, that's a tough question. I, I don't think there's any one um, truly objective answer to are we, are we collecting too much? Are we, are we securing it? Uh, first, for security, I think that no matter how secure something is built, someone eventually will will and can find a way to get into it. So I think we need to keep that in the back of our minds always. Um, as far as uh, what we collect and how much, it's not so much for me a question of should we, but does is it okay with the individual person? Um, I might, you know, I might be today at work, you know, on lunch, I might be Googling, um, under, underwater, uh, waterproof, uh, cameras, um, for my upcoming, you know, vacation overseas or something or in Australia, who knows? Um, then when I get home at night and I'm, you know, surfing the web or on Facebook or whatever, I see 16 ads pop up for underwater cameras. Now, one person might say, oh, wow, great. Look at all these. Just by looking at it earlier today, I have, now I have all these options right in front of me. I don't have to go and search them. I have different brands, different uh, functionality, different prices. That's awesome. Then you have another person that says, holy cow, that's really creepy. I, I don't like this. <laughs> um, so I, I think I think the way that things probably should go is the, the data collector um, they really need to put it in front of the user, front and center, in in real language and in, in plain English, and not legalese that only a lawyer could understand. That hey, here's what we're collecting on you. Here's how we're going to use it. Are you okay? And a lot of times I see that um, it's either yes or no. You know, we can collect, we'll collect your data, and we can do whatever we want with it. Um, I'd like to see it more. We'll collect your data, and here's a few options of what we can. Or, or could do with it, and we'll give you the option to, you know, opt in or not. Um, I think we're a long, long way off from that, you know, looking at the current landscape. But uh, but it probably comes down to the individual person, and again, it goes back to the data collector. And ethics-wise, they have to put things in plain language that everybody could understand, and right in front of them, not in some, you know, help account. Many they have to navigate through six different screens to get to their their legal ease um, documents of what we can do with your data. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things you hit on um, that I, I think about myself personally quite a bit is, you know, what am I doing as an individual, right? I think that along the way, a lot of us became pretty comfortable with sharing, you know, a lot of data, a lot of things, uh, you know, because the service was free. And so it was like, well, here's the exchange, right? I'm going right, to give you yeah, this data yeah. um, because the service is free. And I think I do think that, you know, corporations and entities uh, obviously do have a, a long way to go and they should be focused on making sure these things are secure and private. And to your point, being very clear about, you know, what am I going to do with this data? Uh, but I also don't know that I'm going to trust them, you know, explicitly to do that. Whole other conversation. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's up to all of us as individuals to you know, make sure that we're being thoughtful about what we're doing and how much we're giving and, you know, things sure. like that. I mean, for example, um, I use a VPN, right? I have one yep. of those services that, uh, you know, you, you just put it on your phone and your iPad and your, your whatever, um, and all your traffic's funneled through there. Now that's a separate kind of mm -hmm. issue because you're also trusting them that, uh, they do what they say they're going to do in terms right. of treating, you know, say, Oh, we don't log anything. And, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so that's a whole separate thing, but, you know, at least trying to do my part to make sure that 
my data is, you know, either not shared or as secure as, as I'm comfortable with. Um, but, uh, segueing to you, AJ, I mean, is it, is it different in Latin America? Like, is there a, is this a cultural thing in terms of how much people share or, or what's your kind of outlook on that? Well, I, I actually, um, I think it's, it's very similar. Uh, I, I don't think, um, I, I always think that, uh, the, the real, uh, balance of things is not any excess is, is bad. And the truth is somewhere in the grace is not black or white. But in terms of uh, personal data, I totally agree with you. But what I found some, uh, sometimes or, or mo- most often is that there are a lot of data that is being collected that is useless. And there is no uh, quality in what we get, what we keep, what we share um, in terms of for what or what is the purpose of holding that data. And I find myself uh, with a lot of companies that say, well, we have all this information about the customers. Yeah, what, which color of underwear they use. But guys, you, you're selling cookies. Why do you need the underwear color of the person? No, because <laughs> just, just in case. And I believe this is what the problem in Latin America is most often. Uh, we try to keep all data just in case. And maybe if we can curate that information that we're keeping about people, of course, putting all you said before, uh, as, as a matter of fact, as a need, uh, we as individuals might have control or we should have control of what we share uh, but if you decide to post your, uh, I don't know, your bank account and ATM uh, password in Facebook, it's up to you, I guess. Yeah. Bosco, that's my ATM password. Um, <laughs> good, good. For, for any of the Seinfeld so, fans out there, they'll, yeah, they'll get that yeah, reference. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, it's something I'm I'm keeping an eye on quite a bit. I think that we have a long way to go um, worldwide, you know, on on the ethics around this. I I do understand the desire to, um, you know, be able to leverage this data to, as you kind of pointed out before, Mike, uh, the leverage recommendations and curated experience and you know those kinds of things. But I think we have to really think long and hard at this point about. Um, you know, like you kind of, I think, hit on it, which is there. the assumption was or is, I guess, that, you know, oh, these recommendations are great. Everybody's going to want these, right? They're going to want yep. tailored ads. And I don't really know that that's true, right? I don't know that consumers really want ads at all, let alone ones that are, you know, tailored and targeted based on, you know, something say, they searched for six hours earlier. Right? I would say more often than not, they, they don't. Yeah, I think people think it's creepy and then they wonder what else is going on behind the scenes with their data, right? Yeah. And same thing, just like with the, you know, they could, even if, uh, you know, a data collector did put it right in front of your face, playing playing English, here's what we're going to do, opt in, opt out, whatever. How do you enforce that or audit that? Yeah. So let me ask you this. If, uh, If I spun up a Facebook competitor tomorrow and my business model was, uh, you know, hey, it's two bucks a month or... I'll give you a year for 20 bucks, right? Or something like that. Um, and the trade-off was, you know, we're, we're neither going to collect 
you know, a lot of data about you or what we have will be, you know, fully private and only really for your uses on the platform because we've, the model is that, you know, your data isn't the model. You are the model now that you're paying for it. Um, I think that a lot of people, I hear people talk about that and they say, oh yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. (laughs) But I don't know that we've proven that, right? I think there's been several kind of pay for social networks that are out there and, you know, you also kind of gate access to it, right? Because some people maybe can't afford that or don't want to spend their money on that. And so then you have a problem of, you know, sort of bifurcating the network and making winners and losers based on, you know, the income part of it. But for you personally, I guess I'll just ask both of you, if that was, is that a trade off you'd be willing to make if I, you know, Facebook popped up tomorrow and said, hey, for, you know, five bucks a month or whatever, we will exclude you from, you know, these types of data collection and ad targeting practices. What what would you say to that? I, I would do that just to help you, Brian. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to help you with your startup. But uh, I, I don't think since I, I am not a huge social media, I, I don't use Facebook uh, like uh, I didn't use it for the last, I don't know, six, seven years. And uh, I got some things over there and uh, it keeps bothering me and the email. So, uh, but I, I believe that that kind of uh, schema may be uh, a more controllable on my side could be a good deal. Yeah, I would probably I would give it a serious consideration. I usually I generally use Facebook um, for communicating with family, friends, sharing pictures with uh, family and friends, um, a couple groups I belong to, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm not really putting anything on there that uh, I wouldn't be comfortable with the whole world seeing anyway. So I I, I don't know if I would spend money for that sort of uh, arrangement, but but I would give it serious consideration for sure. Yeah, I think just to round out this topic, for me, it's all about education, right? I think, um, you know, we talked about how what what the organizations uh, should be doing in terms of educating people. But I think, too, um, at this point, you know, when we're talking about school, uh, actual physical schools that that children go to, I believe that we need to start having courses um, that are just as important as, you know, math and science and other things. Uh, in terms of, you know, data literacy and and understanding the internet and understanding privacy and understanding the risks of putting certain types of information out on, you know, let's say Snapchat and and those kinds of things where, you know, the promise is that it's ephemeral, but, uh, you know, it turns out that sometimes it's not, right? And I think if we're, you know, counting on organizations and we're counting on, um, you know, advertisers to do the right thing. Um, that's, it might be part of the solution, but probably not. And I think that really educating people and you both just said it right is, Hey, I either don't use it all that often, or I only put things that I'm okay if the world saw it. Um, but I think a lot of people don't use it like that. I think a lot of people believe that it's private and, you know, especially in, in messaging apps, you know, particularly, um, you know, they believe everything they put in there is private. No one will ever see it. And, and they sort of are living their lives through that. And a lot Absolutely. of very personal, very painful yeah. things, Absolutely. you know, if they were well, to be exposed. So I'm on the education train. Uh, I think that it, it's up to all of us to push more for that and, you know, hopefully make it 
formalized, you know, part of the curriculum of, of all schooling from, you know, pretty much the beginning all the way through college. I think it's, it's paramount. This is where everything's headed. And if we don't understand it as consumers and participants and potential uh, management of those things, then, uh, you know, I think we're setting ourselves up for a, a pretty difficult uh, road ahead. Absolutely. And not only that, but like uh, not too un, not too unsimilar to many other things of this nature. That has to, I believe that has to start at a young age at home as well. You know, I have uh, two, da- two daughters, one of them seven, she has an iPod and um, both of them, you know, have serious conversations. These are the things that you do not, you know, ever expose when you're online. Um, you know, these are things that are okay. Always come talk to mom and dad and that discussion this day and age today, it has to start at home and then continue in the, in the school as well. All right. Well, let's shift to a, uh, let's, let's go to happy things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, where, what, what's the trend, right? So we, we kind of talked about before a little bit before about trends and technology and things like that, but maybe if you could put on your, um, you know, your big blue sky thinking cap now, where, where are we going with all of this, whether it's in business or just in general, um, with data science and analytics, what's, what do the next 10 years look like if, if you had to predict, and we're going to pull this thing out, uh, in 10 years from now, and we're going to grade <laughs> you to see if you were right. So, right. um, kind of give me, give us your thoughts. Maybe AJ, we'll start with you on that one. Oh, okay. Uh, I think, and, and I'm, I'm totally amazed with this. I, I, I see a, a huge trend in microservices, for example, uh, I discovered uh, Lambda not long ago. I bought uh, some uh, smart speakers from several brands to manage my smart home. And I've, I discovered these microservices as a consumer uh, not long ago. But I, I see a huge trend uh, in, in using microservices, shared microservices, uh, even in analytics uh, for the uh, next 10 years, five years. I, I think, for example, to take one example, uh, I, I jumped in to Lambda in Amazon and find that it was so easy to build something. I create my own Alexa sk- uh, skills or something like that, and I can share and I can pay just for what I use. And even being cautious and not speaking about serverless or something like that, uh, that we tend to do to create a big theory about something. But I believe microservices will be uh, a, a big explosion in, in the years to come. Probably um, probably not coincidentally. Um, I have a lot of the same thoughts. Uh, the Internet of Things that you hear about, edge computing, uh, with smart devices just starting out, sensor devices, everyone has, not everyone, but many people have these Fitbits, you know, smart cars, smart TVs, alarm systems, uh, fitness monitoring, um, Alexa, that sort of Sonos, that sort of thing. Uh, that, if you think about it, one person and just, just one person uh, with maybe three of those, um, three of those items in maybe less than, less than half a day probably produces gigabytes, gigabytes, if not terabytes of data. Um, that's one person. When this explodes to the millions, even cloud servers aren't going to be able to handle it. I think with this explosion of, um, again, quote-unquote, the Internet of Things, as they call it, um, 
handling all that data is going to have to be at the source, um, uh, the edge computing, uh, where it's where the data is being collected. And that, you know, that would be my prediction that we're going to see in the next 10 years. I would say at the end of 10 years, we're going to see a lot more uh, edge computing right within the device itself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I would say the same thing. I think sensors... Um Sensors and the data they produce are probably the future of, of all of this data, um, especially when it comes to consumer electronics, for sure. For sure, um, for sure. As, right. as AJ mentioned, I, I'm also on the smart home train, so I have, uh, <laughs> you know, smart lights and, you know, some of these kinds of things. And I, I do Alexa, really find the... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I really do find the convenience in it. And I um, often kind of amazes me to think about... Um, you know, me just shouting something out into the air and uh, the right. cylinder hears me, parses the data, um, goes through a workflow essentially that I've either built or was built by, you know, the engineers of the companies who produce these products. Um, and then it does something. And, you know, there's sort of this magicness to it, right? Where it's like, sure. you're just speaking and the light turns on, but you think about what happens under the hood and all of the bits and bytes and data that's flowing through there and to make that happen in almost, you know, real time, um, is really bizarre, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. when you think so, about it, actually. So we are um, going back to the data collection, uh, subject and all that that we do with these devices is being recorded. So it's again, uh, us who have to decide what to do, what not to and how. Yeah. All right. So uh, on the on the education piece of that, let's kind of segue. We're kind of coming through this, weaving our way through a couple of different ways. Um, you're you're both uh, thought leaders, as I, I, I think you're on this podcast. So that automatically makes you thought leaders, plus everything else <laughs> that you do. Right. I'm sort of Yay. being facetious here. <laughs> of course. But, um, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot um, and, and it seems like more so as time goes on here is there are so many wonderful people out there that have real subject matter knowledge. Um, but if you don't share it, then it's just sort of, it's in your head. And, um, you know, we all need to be sharing as much as possible, um, of, of our experiences and what we're learning and our takes on, you know, data and analytics and these kinds of things. Um, and so I just want to ask you both kind of, you know, how do you recommend that other people, you know, in, in big or small ways, whatever it is, how do they get involved in the sharing of that knowledge? Uh, maybe Mike will will start with you. Like, what what do you do today to share your knowledge, and and you know how how do you recommend other folks get started with that? Uh, well, for subject areas like this, there's you know countless number of groups and communities you can become involved with, um, local or, or national or online, and just meet up and talk about things, share ideas, post ideas uh, internally with the people you work. Obviously that's just a you know conversation, a shout over the wall. Um, but, uh, but otherwise get involved in the, in the community, uh, the different communities out there and, and talk, uh, blogging now is big. Um, anybody can do that. Um, LinkedIn, everybody has a LinkedIn page pretty much. You could, you know, post, uh, things there and just kind of spread the word. I think more and more today, things are going to electronic spreading of information. Um, but, uh, but it certainly is done the old fashioned way as well. You just want people to generate more data. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we could collect it. <laughs> well, in my case, uh, yeah, I believe there is, uh, there is something that, uh, we born with, which, uh, is the need to teach, to share knowledge. I don't think 
everybody has it, but if you at least some time in your life question yourself to be able to share that, uh, please do. And, and keep learning and keep being curious is part of uh, teaching people too. And when you share chocolate, you get half and the other person has half. But when you share knowledge, you, you double the assets because you got your knowledge and you are not going to forget what you know, but you are doubling that knowledge into another person. So I, I, I love uh, to, to teach. I have more than 700 hours of teaching Altrix in this case, but and Tableau and, and, and BI and analytics. And, and I love to teach. That was beautiful. And uh, I'm hungry for chocolate all of a sudden as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great analogy. Great. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just, I was just saying that that was awesome. And uh, I think actually a perfect segue uh, to, uh, to our community picks, right? So let's share a little bit. So what, what have you two seen lately out there in the world that we want to point people to that they should go uh, check out after they get done listening to the, the episode here? Um, I think for me, I think everybody who begins their path uh, in, in the data analytics space or data in general needs to watch. Um, there's a, a gentleman that actually presented at one of uh, Altrix Inspires, I believe it was 2014 in San Diego, Jir Thorpe. He has a TED talk out there of uh, pretty much the, the, the same presentation that he gave at Inspire, and it's a great one about humanizing data. Uh, it's out there, TED Talks, Jir Thorpe, Make Data More Human. You could look it up. It's very easy to find. And it's just a great, great uh, presentation. Um, great, great speak, you know, speech with examples. And uh, he's, a, he's a visual, what I would say, he's a visualization master, <laughs> uh, master at visualizing data in different and unique ways. But he also explains and, and shows how it's it's not just not just zeros and ones. It's, you know, it's, it's people's people's data. Um Bring the humanity back to it, and just always keep that in mind when you're when you're messing around with data. That uh, you always got to got to keep your human side close to you. I, I I'm going to use this first part of the community picks to make a, a, a popular claim, and is to to everybody that's listening this uh, when we are very eager to help you in the community. I'm talking about the Altrix community in this case, and. When you have a problem or a question or a post, please be try to be as thoughtful as you can with the use case so we can help you because we want to help you in the community. There are a lot of people, uh, very clever people to help you, but we need that uh, those questions and those posts are as complete as they can. We cannot... Uh, grab, uh, I'm getting this error. Can you help me from scratch and, and, and help you? We need to know what you're doing. This is my, uh, advertising about, uh, how can the community can help us to build a better one. But as a peak in the community, I, I came, uh, uh, a week ago, I came with some posts uh, from Sydney Furman. They are absolutely amazing. Uh, in the data science blog, please go check them because even if you don't know anything about statistics models and that stuff, you can understand them. And what she's doing is great 
I don't know her and I'm going to find her uh, at Spire. Uh, but I, I, I realized that those posts are amazing. And another one for you, Brian. I miss the hangouts, man. <laughs> you, you want more hangouts? Yeah, I miss them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. I'll see what I can do. I, uh, I have uh, accepted your challenge. Another, an, another one I don't think that can be underestimated um, is the tool mastery index on the knowledge base. Though, I, yes, I'm an ace. I've been using Altrix for six years. I still go there. Um, when there's still tools in the software that I have not encountered yet. Um, and whenever I encounter a new tool, if the configuration isn't painfully obvious, like maybe a union tool is, um, if it seems a little complex, I always start with the mastery index. Uh, so can't emphasize that enough. Great. All right. Well, we'll put all the links to that in the show notes. Uh, I'll round us out. And I have one that's a little, I guess, off the wall, but I think our audience uh, might appreciate it. I was watching 60 Minutes uh, just the other day. Um, and uh, it's a television program here in the U.S. and uh, investigative journalism. And they did a they did a uh, uh, an episode on uh, these geospatial satellites. There's a company out there. I believe the company's just called Planet. Um, and uh, basically, all of the satellite imagery that you get today comes from just a handful of satellites because they're really expensive to launch and maintain and. Um, you know, there's governmental regulations and all these kinds of things. And so, uh, just to get to the point that we're at today to map the earth, uh, has taken a couple of decades, right? And so what the mission of this company is, is they're launching these micro satellites. And so they're basically the, the size of a cat. Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty small. Um, and I think they've launched, uh, I, I don't want to misquote this, but I think, you know, it's somewhere between like 50 and a hundred of these things are up there floating around. And they're able to map the entire Earth um, in a very short period of time and then continue mapping it. And so one of the benefits that they were talking about in the episode was uh, that you get sort of this timeline of changes. And so you can imagine whether you're looking at climate or you're looking at city development or whatever it is you might be interested in from a geospatial imagery perspective, you have these snapshots that are pretty close, uh, in between each other and ongoing, right? So you can look and see, oh, okay, here's what it looked like six months ago. Here's what it looked like yesterday. Here's what it looked like three weeks ago. Um, whatever the case might be. And they were talking about the immense nature of the data, um, because they're mapping so much that, you know, they basically can map the whole world, uh, you know, every, whatever it was every week or something like something crazy wow. like that. Wow. Um, and so they were talking about the data and like, well, okay, great. So now we have all these maps, but how do we actually analyze it? And they were talking to this guy who uh, he works at the governmental agency here in the United States that uh, looks at geospatial data uh, probably for more for the defense perspective. But he was saying that they crunch some numbers and they would have to hire like, you know, 8 million people or something <laughs> like something like that to, you know, properly analyze the data. And, and obviously that wasn't going to happen. So um, then they were talking about, okay, we need to, you know, look at machine learning and AI and other things like that to be able to really parse through this data intelligently in a reasonable period of time. So I'll put the link to that uh, with everything you guys mentioned as well in the show notes. Um, it's really interesting, I think, and uh, also kind of flows back to our roots here uh, in geospatial, which I'm always excited about. So great. 
All right. Well, hey, thanks, guys, for being on. This was wonderful. Um, I, I really appreciate your uh, your intuition and your thought leadership. And uh, um, I will see you on Facebook. Well, yeah. <laughs> Not me, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank uh, you. It was, it yeah. was very fun. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and we have to do a, a special podcast about data collection. Indeed. Just, just on that. Oh, sure. Indeed. We will do. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Brian. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Alter Everything. Go to community.altrix.com slash podcast for show notes, information about our guests, episodes, and more. If you've got feedback, tweet us using the hashtag Alter Everything or drop us an email at podcast at altrix.com. Catch you next time. So, uh, AJ, I have to tell you that uh, I was sitting at home this weekend uh, watching some TV and... uh, looking at my email as all, as all of us do now. Um, we, we, we can't stop. We're addicted to our emails. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I see this email from one, uh, one AJ Gasande come through and uh-huh. I thought, Hmm, that's interesting. What's he, uh, what's he got on a Sunday for me? And I was greeted when I opened up my email with this amazing illustration of my face. And somehow you managed to make me look better than I do in real life, which probably isn't hard. It's a low bar. But, um, I, I just, I was blown away by this. I I have to tell you, I, I just sat there and I looked at it and I smiled and I laughed and, um, I was so excited, but I didn't want to email you back. I wanted to talk with you live here on the show about it. Um, where did you learn how to, and we'll put the, we'll put this in the show notes so people can see this because it's incredible stuff. Where did you learn how to do this and how do you, how do you do it? Uh, well, I, I learned, uh, I, I'm a self-taught drawer. Uh, when I was young, uh, that was one of the, of the most valuable toys I had. It was a pencil and a, and a, and a piece of paper. And I never took courses of illustration. I just, uh, figured it out and I started moving my hands. And once it got serious, uh, it, I wasn't. Uh, a kid that doodles anymore. I was trying to draw seriously. I start uh, working on my skills with some kind of concepts of deliberate practice where you grab, I don't know, hands are very difficult to draw. So how can I make uh, this time I'm going to draw uh, to improve or how can I improve my hand drawing, and I was spending, I don't know, one hour, two hours a day drawing hands until I mastered them or, or until I get good at it. Uh, and that concept of uh, deliberate practice helped me all my life. And that's how I, I got from doodling on a page to uh, cash several uh, checks uh, drawing comics. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. So, yeah. so you got some income. I, I'm not surprised by that because uh, this this yeah. to me just looked amazing. And I, Mike, did you see this thing? I think I, I we saw, sent it over it, to you. I saw yeah. I saw the uh, the prototype. Um, yeah, you saw you saw kind of the sketch uh, was, phase of it. Uh, the thing is, as I always say, uh, I, I rather like uh, finish it, even if it's not perfect. Uh, it has all the. Uh, it lacks from the production phase, which I should grab another tool and uh, do vector lines on the lines you have. But I wanted to send you the uh, raw mode, the raw drawing, where all the imperfections are from my hand, since my hand is not as steady as it used to be. Uh, for production, I, I will grab that drawing and put it into, I know, Illustrator or some tools like that and do the vector lines to uh, figure them or, or to make them look like a perfect line. That in and of itself was pretty incredible. <laughs> Looks yeah. pretty perfect to me, I got to yeah. tell you. And <laughs> I love you. all the little Thank details. I, I love. Yeah. I see that I, I'm wearing an Ultrix for Good shirt. I see there's some <laughs> funny things written on the boxes, which mm -hmm. I won't spoil for people. We'll let them discover that on their own. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I appreciate it, and uh, I I'm just I got to tell you I it really kind of blew me away, and uh, thank you so thank much for that. Thank you. I, I you know I I don't like to come empty-handed to any invitation, so that's why <laughs> I, I send you that. I, I couldn't send you a, a bottle of wine, so I make you try. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, thank you, sir. I, I appreciate uh, that. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Anytime.